Well, we're in a series here uh, called Superficial, and we've been talking about how to love each other and how God would want us to love each other. And this summer, we've been hanging out in the book of Romans. And so this part of the book of Romans is what we're building this series out of. And we've been looking at these two kind of key verses. So Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So there's things that we've learned and things that are instinctual to us, and they come from our observations, just this is the way I've seen things done, and they come from the environments we were raised in. Like that's just, I, I just thought that's the way everybody thought. And so the Apostle Paul says, as a Christ follower, instead of copying that, I am a new person that's building kind of my relational foundation off of Jesus instead of just the behaviors and the customs. God's gonna transform me. He's gonna do that by changing the way that I think. So I'm gonna look at Jesus and how Jesus loves me. And as I understand how Jesus loves me more and more, that's how I'll know how to love the people around me more and more. So we talked about that a lot last week and we talked about this verse too um, uh, also. Don't pretend to love each other but re- love others, but really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. And we had that conversation that this real love is gonna play out in these ways, all right? Now, the Apostle Paul is, is teaching about this, writing about this in the book of Romans, and then God through the Bible is teaching us about them, and this is all being taught about because of Jesus. And what Jesus says, so Jesus says something super important. This would be a great tattoo to get. So Jesus says this in the book of John. He says, so I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. You should love each other. So when we say, I want to love somebody the way that Jesus loves somebody, we're not just saying like that's a, a standard or a goal or we should just be emotional about how Jesus loves us. We're looking and saying that's what Jesus himself said. He's saying, I set a standard, or I set an example, or I set a paradigm of what it means to love each other, and that's what you're chasing. That's what you want to weave into your life, not the behaviors and the customs, not like whatever was accepted in your family, whatever's accepted in your dorm room. He's like, no, you're gonna look for something completely different And that's what you're going to weave into your life. And I'm going to help you do that by the word of God, the people of God, and the spirit of God. Like, I'm going to help you do that. But that's what I want you building your life after. And he says right after this verse, he says, when when you start to love each other as I've loved you, that's actually supposed to be the hallmark of being a Christian. So the hallmark of being a Christian is actually not church. It's actually not like moral behavior It's certainly not political stuff. The hallmark of being a Christian is that I will love you with the same veracity that Jesus has loved me. And I will love you in the same sacrificial way that Jesus has loved me. And the work, the work of being a Christ follower is the work of knowing Jesus and then allowing the depth of Jesus' love for me to translate into my love for, for him and then the people around me. And that's actually what would mark us as, as a Christ follower, okay? So that's what we're digging at a little bit. And Jesus says, or Paul says, he's like, I don't want you guys pretending at that. Like, let's not 
slap on like these happy plastic people faces. I want you to really do that and I want you to really give yourself to loving each other to the depth that, that uh, you have been loved. Now, we talked a lot in this series about that idea and that's, that idea is a powerful idea and it's a, actually a life-changing idea and it comes with a set of realities. Because when we think about being loved and loved sacrificially, loved unconditionally, loved kind of passionately by someone, that is an extremely appealing idea when it comes to Jesus or another person loving me that way. It is an extremely complicated idea when it comes to me loving someone else. So there's some realities and there's some difficulties to, to this. And a lot of times what, what we find is that the people that need love the most are sometimes the most difficult people to love. So I was thinking about this week, and I was thinking about kind of that math a little bit, and my mind went to a, a lady who uh, came to church here years and years ago. She's, she's been with the Lord for probably 15 or more years now, uh, but her name was Mary Lou, and when I, uh, when I came here, there was about 50 people that were in a congregation here and I was meeting them and getting to know them, and you know they didn't know me either, so we're trying to get to know each other. And Mary Lou was in that group of people. And Mary Lou was something else. She was something else. Mary Lou was a hardcore, hard-headed person. Literally like the tattooed biker girl. And like, Mary, I don't know how many people Mary Lou probably knocked out in a bar, but there was a chunk of them, right? Like she was something else. And through a series of relationships, Mary Lou came to the church and she came to know Jesus. It was this really powerful thing that she came to know Jesus. But Mary Lou, the new Mary Lou and the old Mary Lou sometimes ran into each other. So when I came to that, Mary Lou was, was a children's Sunday school teacher, which I'm not sure that same set of decisions would be made today. Uh, but she was back then, and she had a classroom. She loved kids. She loved kids. She didn't have the most patience with them, but she loved kids. And so when I came, um, the, there was a, a small little building. You know, none of this existed yet. And I was walking through kind of changing how we did church, and I was moving stuff around, you know, to, to make kind of things function the way that I thought they should function, and so I moved her Sunday school room around and uh, set it up the right way and got it, got it ready for children's ministry. Well, I w my, our offices used to be in the building, and uh, I, so I did that, walked out of my office. My secretary, Debbie, was there. And before I knew it, uh, I'm in my office. Mary Lou walked into Debbie, and she's like, where the blank is Jeff? Right, that. So my ears perked up a little bit, because you don't get a lot of F-bombs in the church building. And so I, I walked out, and I was like, Mary Lou, you okay? She goes, no, I'm not okay. She goes, if you ever blank and blank and move my blank and stuff again, I'll blank and beat you with it. And that's what she said to me. And she turned, and I was like a little afraid. And, and she turned and left the building. So I'm sitting there stunned. I'm like, um, I'm not sure what just happened, you know. And most people like hide their beer when I walk into the room. <laughs> Mary Lou tried to hit me with hers, you know, kind of thing. And so I looked at Debbie, and Debbie looked at me, and Debbie had known Mary Lou. And Debbie goes, that's kind of the way she is. And I was like, well, that's the way she was, Right. So I, uh, I went to her house that night, and I knocked on the door, 
And I said, Mary Lou, um, I need to talk with you. And she's like, what do you want? I was like, I think, I think you know why I'm here. I was like, listen, a couple things, a couple things. Uh, one, you're not allowed to cuss me out in the office ever again. Uh, and two, we got to do the stuff that's best for the church and best for the kids. Now, this was Mary Lou. She'd get really, really upset. And then you'd have to go invest energy into her. She would argue with you about that. And then because, because Jesus was in her, she would often soften. And she'd start to cry. And then you would spend another hour walking through, like, the pain in her life that led her to cussing her pastor out, you know. And Mary Lou was a person that we loved a ton, and she was difficult to love. Uh, you may be laughing your head off with her. Like, if she knew, if she knows, she's in heaven. If she heard me telling this story, she'd be laughing right now, right? You'd be laughing your head off with her, or you might be getting cussed out, or she might be crying about some of the horrible things that happened in her childhood. She was just a person that was hard to love, and you had to stay connected into her life. She had no family. She had no children. We were her friends. In fact, when Mary Lou passed away, there was no one to care for her funeral. So we, the church, we had no money back then. I called a few families, and we got some money together, and we, we had her cremated, and we had a little service for her. In fact, that, that was in the middle of the winter, and um, it was too cold. We didn't have a burial plot or anything, so I had her ashes, and I just put them in my desk drawer. And when somebody called in and I didn't have time to talk, I would say, tell them I'm with Mary Lou. <laughs> Can't talk right now. So, the, so we, <laughs> it only gets worse. So, so the spring came and me and, a, me and a guy named Ken Keir, who was very loving, the Keir family is very loving to Mary Lou. Uh, we got the family together and we went out the parking lot back there, it used to be Woods. And we had a little gravestone made, and we took her ashes, and we buried them in the woods and put a gravestone back there and prayed and thanked God for Mary Lou. So about two years later, we were building, and I was in my office one day, and the builder called me. He says, Jeff, he goes, did you know there's a graveyard in the woods? And I was like, what? He's like, there's a graveyard in the woods. I was like, I didn't know. I've been, I've been in those woods. I didn't know there's a graveyard. He goes, yeah, there's a, there's a gravestone back here. I said, what's it say? I'd kind of forgotten. He goes, it says Mary Lou. I go, oh. <laughs> I wasn't thinking. I go, oh, that's Mary Lou. I'll be right out. I'll dig her up and move her. <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> so I did. I moved her. And there was a, a family that had a funeral plot that they donated. And now she's resting peacefully. She's with the Lord. She doesn't care. But... She, she, she was just this individual that if you were going to love her, you were going to work at it. And if you were going to help her feel loved, you were going to work at it. And that's, that's the reality. Now, listen, a lot of times, a lot of times when we think about loving people, we think this, and you got to be careful with this, we think this, we think if God is in it, or God wants it, it will be easy. And we've heard this, this teaching's all over the place, and it's false. If, God if God's before me, who can be against me? And we'll interpret that. If God wants me to do it, it'll be easy. If it's hard or difficult, that means God's not in it. If God wants me to stay connected with this person, 
he'll make that, he'll make that crystal, they'll be so meaty or so in pain or so open to me loving them that if God wants me to connect to that person, it'll be easy. And we make this assumption that when loving someone is difficult, it could mean that God is not in that process or maybe he doesn't even want me in the relationship because God wouldn't want me to go through difficulties. And we really get that mixed up in our, in our minds sometimes. And, I, and I, I wrote it down this way. We have to be careful with that. The ease of real love is not tied to the call to love. The ease of real love is not tied to the call of love. In fact, we will think in our relationships, this person should not be my friend because they're difficult to love. Or our, we should give up on our marriage because our marriage is difficult. Or this, this, person, this person like wigs me out, makes me anxious, so they're toxic, I should probably push them out of my life. And we'll tend to think that way. Because we, w- we look and say, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I'm loving someone the way that God wants me to love someone, wouldn't he bless that and make that easy and make that path straight? And we'll confuse this idea sometimes, and we'll think the ease of loving someone is, is the, the signal that I'm actually called to love them, when in reality, the ease of loving someone is actually not tied to loving them at all. Now, remember, Jesus is our focus. So I'm going to love each other the way that I have loved you. That's what Jesus said there in Matthew. And you have to look and say, am I easy to love? Am I easy to love? And you're not. And neither am I. I'm difficult. I, I... wander away from my shepherd like a rebellious sheep. I grow callous in my heart toward God. How come I can be thoroughly, completely, and genuinely engaged in worship in one minute and carried away in the grossest of my darkest secrets the next? Why is that? So I'm not easy to love. So Jesus doesn't equate the call to love me or his passion to love me with the ease of it because ultimately to express his love to me, he had to go to the cross and there was nothing easy about the cross. So when Jesus thinks of loving me, he, he would say, well, for the joy set before me, I love you, I love loving you, but I had to endure the cross to get there, so to say. And when he thinks of loving me, he thinks of, of the, the sacrifice, the passion, the consequence, see, of loving me. He extends his mercy and his grace. This is why we're saved by grace, not by works. Because built into my salvation is Jesus' realization that I'm not going to be really good at following him. But he pursues me and loves me and welcomes me and forgives me again, again, and again, and again. So when he says, I want you to love each other, don't just pretend, but I want you to love each other the way that I loved you, that's, that's not an easy command. It's not a romanticized command. That's a difficult thing that is going to translate into relationships 
that can be very difficult relationships that God would have us to work on. Now, God, knowing that, and knowing that just like, just like Jeff is difficult to love, you're, you and I are difficult to love, the people we're called to love can be difficult to love, in that, what he does is he helps us. So God gives us a command, and then he's like, and by the way, I'm going to give you my, my word, I'm going to give you my church, I'm going to give you my spirit, and I'm going to help you love the people that I bring into your life to love. And this is what Paul says, this is back in Romans chapter 12. After he says, don't pretend to love, and this is what it looks like, he says this, he says, in his grace, this is Jesus' help, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So in God's grace, in his desire for us to love each other the way that he loves us, he gives us what the Bible, what we often refer to as spiritual gifts. So when I accept Christ, I receive from God a spiritual gift. I become spiritually empowered, so to say, in certain ways in my life. Every Christ follower has at least one spiritual gift. Some people have more than one. But he says, I'm gonna give you these spiritual gifts so that you can exercise these gifts for each other. They're not for you. They're not for you to look good. They're not for you to be good. It's so that you can love well and love as I have loved. So God gives you a spiritual gift or two that helps you to do this difficult work of loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, loving people that are also Christ followers, of loving the way that you've been loved. And what the Apostle Paul does then is he, he gives a partial list of these spiritual gifts. So this is not the whole list. It's kind of like an example of them. But these are, this is part of what he's talking about. So he's like, God gives you this gift for doing certain things well. Like what? Well, like stuff like, like this. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy or to tell truth, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And, you have the, and if you have the gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So Paul comes in, he's like, listen, God has given you these gifts. Now let me, let me elaborate on this for a second. God has given you these gifts, so what that's probably going to mean to you relationally is this. Ready? The people that God brings into your life are generally going to be people who need the gift that God has given you. Because the reason that those people, God brought those people into your life is because he wants to express his love for them through you. So he's going to help you do that. So when you look at your life and say, I feel like, I feel like I'm just surrounded by people who need my help all the time, God will be like, right, you have the gift of serving others. Like, that, that's not just your personality. That's, that's part of your, like your God dream is part of how I created you. It's how I empower you. You're good at that, so serve them well. Like I created you for that and I brought you into these relationships because that's what they need because that's how my love for them is gonna make sense. I, I feel like I'm surrounded by people who don't get it. 
And they're always asking me questions. And God's like, right, that, that's because I gifted you to be a teacher, and when you explain things, it's different than when other people explain things. You, you have a gift from God that allows you to make truths and mysteries about God make sense to people. So teach well. I, I feel like all of my friends, I'm, I'm the one who's always propping them up. And I would look at you and say, that's probably true. Because they need you. And you have the gift of encouragement. I don't have that gift. I have the gift of being a smart aleck. I'm not an encourager. But man, I need them in my life. So you have that gift. So encourage, be encouraging. Some of you are generous. I have a friend like this, the most generous person I know. And he finds this incredible joy from being generous. I'm like, huh, fascinating. Well, he, well, why is he surrounded? He's not surrounded by moochers because he's going to set boundaries. He's not going to be an enabler, but he's surrounded by, why? Because he has the ability to give generously. Leadership, I feel, if I don't take charge, nobody takes, in char- takes charge. Right, right. That's why God put you in that room. And he gifted, you see those things that other people don't see. So you, you don't take that begrudgingly or in a frustrating way. You take it seriously, kindness, do it gladly. So Paul goes through, he's like, yeah, we're, gonna, we're not going to pretend. Remember, this is all a letter in sequential order. We're not going to pretend. We're going to really love each other. We're going to hate what's evil. We're going to cling to what's good. We're going to delight in honoring each other. And you're going to feel like, but this is difficult. And God's like, right, I'm going to help you with it. I'm going to spiritually empower you to do these things. Now, ready? I want you to see this. When you think about serving people, speaking the truth to people, being encouraging, teaching, giving generously, taking responsibility, uh, and, and, and uh, being kind, what does all those things have in common, right? Here's what they all have in common. All of those things take an extraordinary amount of energy and time. All of them do. Encouraging someone who's struggling with anxiety, you're not going to send a note once and be done. Leadership, leadership, going back and re-explaining the same thing again and again and again. Being kind, kindness takes an extraordinary amount of energy, right? And we could go down the list, and there's, like I said, that's a sample list. There's more of those things in Scripture. It takes an extraordinary amount of time, and it takes an extraordinary amount of energy to really love someone. And I'm going to have to give my life and I'm going to have to give over my time, and I'm going to have to give over my energy. I'm going to have to humble myself like Jesus did. I'm going to have to invest myself like Jesus did. I'm going to have to be extraordinarily patient like Jesus is. I'm going to have to give enormous amounts, like I'm going to have to like lavish grace upon people like Jesus does for me, right? And when we think about loving each other, 
It's not always fun. It's not always fun. It's a major investment. We learned this last weekend. Christ-like love is powerful and painful. To truly love, it's a powerful thing. It will be the best, sweetest, most, most powerful, most rewarding things in your life. And it will cost you the most and hurt you the most. To actually love the way that Christ loves us. So that's why when the Apostle Paul, he goes through like, don't pretend. Hey, by the way, God's helping you with this. He's helping you with these gifts. He ends that conversation and he says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. He says, never be lazy, work hard, and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Right? Now, why would he put that push in there? Why would he say, never be lazy, work hard, and serve the Lord enthusiastically? Because he knows that we have a temptation and the temptation is this, when things become costly and when things become difficult, our temptation is to back away. Because I don't like being in pain any more than you do. I don't like being exhausted any more than you do. I don't like people like sucking my time and energy any more than you do. And so what we are taught, this is the behavior and the custom of this world. We are taught that we should isolate around ourselves and we should only let people into our sphere who energize us, who help us find or recognize or pursue our best life, and who bring out the best in us. And if you don't energize me or bring out the best in me, I'm going to put up a wall and I'm going to back away from you. And God knows that that's a tendency. And God would look and say, yeah, but that's the opposite of what it means to really love. That's a superficial love. And it's a superficial love that all of us understand. All of us understand. But it's not the love that I'm talking about. And if you love each other that way, not only are you not gonna be a vessel for like delivering my love to people around you, you're also gonna miss out on the richest parts of your life. I, uh, Monday night I had plans, I got a phone call. I was literally in a hole up to my waist, uh, digging, fixing something in the house. I got a phone call from a friend. He was in a car accident, he was in the emergency room. And uh, I was talking to his wife, talking to his mom, and finally I said to my friend, I said, do you want me to come up there? This is what he said. I want to catch this. He goes, I don't want to inconvenience you. You don't want to have, you don't have to do that. Now, ready? This is the behavior and custom. Everybody knows right now that that was an out. That was an out. He knows the behavior and the custom. I know the behavior and the custom. He was letting me off of a hook, and I had the choice whether to get off one or not. And we could have said, okay, I'll see you. And it could have been superficial. I called, I did my duty. But I said back to him, I said, why don't I come down and see you? I need to, get, I need to catch a shower. I'm literally in a hole. <laughs> so I took a shower, I went down, spent four hours at the ER, had a wonderful time deepened a relationship, enjoyed every moment, went to bed late but very, very fulfilled. 
we all struggle with this. Every one of us. And you, we, we're good at this, because it's the behavior in the customer. We can, we're good at letting each other off the hook. In some ways, I guess that's good. But sometimes when we take that superficial answer, we miss out on the, rich, the, the powerful parts of loving each other. So the Apostle Paul gives us this push. He's like, listen, you got these gifts, and you've got these people, and these people take time and energy. So don't be lazy and using those. Those gifts aren't for you. They're not to be hoarded. Don't be lazy. Work hard at them and serve the Lord enthusiastically. I want you to see two things here. This is a big deal. Ready? First of all, I want you to see this. Loving and living with people is hard work. We have to divorce ourselves from the idea that if we really loved each other, our life would be rainbows and unicorns all the time. It's not the way that love, real love works. Loving and living with each other is, is hard work. Here's the second thing I want you to see is this. Ready? This is important. Loving each other is serving Jesus. Loving each other is serving Jesus. It's hard work. It's hard work because we have to go through, we have to go through figuring out how to love. How, how can I, I'm willing to be inconvenienced, I'm willing to be patient, but I, it seems like we have to have some boundaries. I know you need this, I know you need this, but it seems like we, I, I don't want to be an enabler. That's hard work to figure out boundaries, to figure out enabling, to figure out how, all that's hard work to do. And then there's the long-suffering part. Long-suffering in the Bible means to suffer long. Like, I have a difficult marriage. And our call in marriage is to redeem each other. That's not easy. I, I have a difficult friend. And I'm their only friend. I'm caring for aging parents. I'm raising my grandchildren. It's hard. So the Apostle Paul's like, yeah, don't, I got you. God's gifted you. Don't step away from that. Even though the customs and the behavior of everybody would be like, that's kind of cool if you step away from that. Because Jesus would look and say, loving and living with you is kind of hard work. So I'm, I want to do that for you, and I want that to flow through, right? And then I want you to see this, and this is encouraging. Loving each other is serving God. I, I love the way that Paul says this in another part of the Bible. He says, so we're Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. When we love each other, we are the love of Christ coming through. And so this is where he says, serve the Lord enthusiastically. Loving each other, doing that hard work, not being lazy, is serving God. Ready? I want you to catch this. When you, when you are caring for somebody that you love, and it is difficult, when you embrace that hard work, that is an act of worship. When you're caring for aging parents or grandparents, and it's months and years. That is an act of worship. When, you're, when you are fighting to work through a marriage, that is an act of worship. When you're hanging on to this friend who is just a roller coaster ride, that is an act of worship. 
because you are Christ. Jesus put you in that situation and he equipped you to handle these relationships in a way that nobody else is equipped to handle those relationships. And he motivates you by giving you an example of your relationship with him. And then he looks at you and says, okay, here we go. Love him the way that I love you. And you respond to God. Coming to church, singing a song, giving a time. Like, being by someone's side is as much or sometimes more of an act of worship than those religious activities. And when you use your gifts that are uniquely yours and you use those in relationships with the people around you, that, that is worship. And as enthusiastically as you might raise your hands or cheer, that same enthusiasm, I'm looking and saying, God built me to be an encourager. God built me to be a giver. God built me for kindness. Why am I the one that always has to say things out loud? Because God built you to be a truth teller. And when you're in those relationships, you are in the middle of the will of God. It doesn't feel great. Yeah, he never said that loving people for real would feel great. That's us making that up. But it's powerful. And sometimes it's painful. But it ultimately brings glory to God, right? Now, let me show you the key to this, okay? The key to this whole thing the key to this whole thing is that real love has to be received in order to be given. That's the key to the whole thing. The key to loving someone, especially when it's difficult, is not buckle down and try harder. The key to following Jesus is not buckle down. Discipleship is not about trying harder. The key is not get your act together, get over yourself, what's your problem, live in denial, pretend they never hurt you. That, that, is not, that is not what God is saying at all. The key to this whole thing is receiving God's love at levels and in depths that you've never received it before. Real love is not, it, real love is an overflow of the heart, it's not an idea and it's not an obligation. So it's not this romance, I really, I just feel, that's an idea. Not, I didn't say it was wrong, I just said it's not what God's talking about. And this is not an obligation, I guess I'm a Christian, Jesus died for me, I gotta go mow mom's grass. It's not an obligation. Real love happens from an overflow, and in order for me to overflow, I have to be being poured into. And the way that I'm poured into is I understand the passion, the heart, the persistence of Jesus more and more. And if you ever wonder, what does that look like? What does his passion, his heart, and his persistence look like? Jesus would say, I showed you the full extent of my love on the cross. Like that, that's the, the, the greatest physical illustration that I could ever show you. Because every, every snap of the whip Every strike of the hammer is me intentionally, purposely loving 
you. It's hard work. And I was doing it to the glory of my Father for the benefit of you. And the more that I understand that, and the more that I receive that, the more that his love for me wells up in me and it will spill over to you. How do I forgive my ex? I forgive my ex by understanding the depth of my lack of faithfulness to Christ and that he loves me. How do I deal with a rebellious child? They're driving me crazy. I deal with a rebellious child by understanding the depth of my rebellion to God. How do I deal with a manipulative mother? I deal with a manipulative mother by understanding the subtle and persistent ways that I try to manipulate God. And the more I understand my sin, Jesus is not, if I'm forgiven, Jesus is not holding my sin over me. The reason I remember and know my sin is so that I can receive the depth of Christ's love. And the more that I understand how in need I am of the love of Christ and how transformative that is in my life, that love fills me, that love motivates me. Paul says that love transforms me, and that love is what spills over into your life. Who am I to hold a grudge against you when God freely forgives me? Who am I to be unwilling to forgive you when God freely forgives me? Who am I to keep a record of wrongs against you when God has thrown my sins as far as the east is from the west? It's hard, it's difficult, right. There's boundaries, there's enablement. There, we, you probably need to sit down with a life group leader or one of the past, like it's, it's tough. Didn't say it wasn't. I'm just saying that's the key. And the Apostle Paul is looking and saying, guys, until we get like to that, we're kind of faking it. But once we get to that, that love is powerful and it's painful, but it's transformational. Right? I didn't put it in the notes, but there's one more thing that God gives us. He gives us, he gives us his word, he gives us his spirit, and then he gives us each other, he gives us his church. But Mary Lou is a tough one. She's tough. Right? Here's the thing with Mary Lou. I'm not the hero of that story. Because I didn't, I didn't love Mary Lou by myself. Mary Lou came into a church. And Jeff has gifts. But there's other people in the church that have gifts that Jeff doesn't have. When you're a pastor, you don't get them all. I'm not an encourager, but Debbie Keir is. I'm not particularly kind, to be honest with you, but Linda Christner is. I, I'm not a, a person who serves well, but Joe and Danette Ravis are. 
I'm not wildly generous, but Francis, who left his car to Mary Lou in his will so she would have one to drive, was. Uh, what'd you, I, I lead. I just get everybody else to do those things. See, we, we love Mary Lou. So much so that if you were here in that time that Mary Lou was with us, you're laughing and crying. Because we loved her. Loved her to pieces. And when she took her last breath, I was with her when she took her last breath. And I'll never forget walking into her hospital room. The doctor said, because she had an infection, and the doctor said, she's on machine, she was awake. And I went to her and I said, Mary Lou, I said, do you want, the doctor says that you're not going to get better. She nodded her head. I said, Mary Lou, you ready to go see Jesus? Because he loves you and he's waiting for you. And she nodded her head. I said, do you want me to have these machines turned off? And she nodded her head. I said, okay. I said, I'm going to have them turn the machines off and I'm going to pray with you until you're with Jesus. And she nodded her head. And it was me and the Keir family. It was her church. And I said, turn the machines off. I started praying with her. And she went to be with Christ. It was one of the most beautiful, powerful things. Right? To an old biker girl that cussed her pastor out. But she was beloved. So for some of you, you're in a difficult situation and you want to be faithful. And I want to remind you that you have people who are faithful to you. We need help. And you have an extended family. We just, the Bible calls us a church. And when you, when you take that kind of a love and you bring it into a community, the community starts to be known for its love. And the church is defined by its hallmark which is loving others the way that we have been loved, right? Okay. I'm going to ask the band to come out, and I just want to take a minute. I want to do something different here. So I want to take a minute, and um, I want you to spend a minute praying so maybe just bow your heads and close your eyes and do this at Montrose too and even online. So just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want us to do an exercise that's going to feel a little bit weird, okay? So I want you, you can write this down or you just do it in your head. I want you to think of your three worst secrets or moments. Just think of ways that you sin against God. The darkest time in your life, and I'm talking the things you're responsible for. You did it, you know it, it's a secret. Maybe it's your worst habit. 
I, just, I want you to think about your sin, okay? So I want you to build that list in your mind. Think about the first thing on that list. And then I want you to visualize this. Visualize Jesus coming to you. The Bible says he knows everything. And imagine that he takes that worst sin and he doesn't cross it out and he doesn't say it's okay. He pays for it. He takes it upon himself. He suffers for it. but he pulls it out of your life, returns that piece of paper so that it's whiter than snow, and taking that sin upon his shoulders, he looks at you and he says, I love you. And this is done. Now look at the second thing on the list. And Jesus comes to you and he does the same thing. I know you're a sinner. I died for you before you ever knew I existed, while you were still a sinner. And I'm taking that sin on my shoulder. It's not yours, it's mine. And I'm erasing this. There's no lines on the paper. There's not that shadow that the pencil leaves. It's gone, whiter than snow. He looks at you and says, I love you. And this is over and this is done. And the third thing and the fourth thing and the fifth thing and everything, every day. And as we think through our unworthiness before God and the depth of his persistence and love for us, our hearts start to fill. And as our hearts fill, they overflow. And I look at the person then that has hurt me the most deeply. Get that image in your mind. It's your ex, it's your dad, it's your roommate. Get that image in your mind. And I look at them. And I say, I forgive you as I have been forgiven. I love you as I have been loved. And I want you, I want you to come back to God. And I'm his ambassador, I'm his mouthpiece. And, and out of the overflow, Jesus, in these moments, would you somehow, through your spirit, 
press more deeply. God, we don't serve you because we feel guilty. We don't serve you because we're afraid of you. We serve you in worship because we recognize the depth of your love, and that's why we do it in joy and without compulsion. So God, in these moments, as we sing about your love, as we sing these prayers, would you press them deeper and deeper into our hearts?